We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 101. Our guest today is an author, philanthropist, and she is the owner of one of the most famous hunter horses, Lafitte de Muse. This episode could not have come out at a more perfect time because her new children's book, Big Wishes for Little Feet, just came out, and it is available everywhere. I'll make sure to include the Amazon link on our website, but I am so excited to talk more with this author and hear all about her story. So without further ado, let's hear it from our guest today, Cheryl Olston. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. I know you're very busy and we've tried before to get together. So I'm glad we were able to make it happen today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell me how you first got into the horse world. Sure. I know just briefly, you know, talk about as a child, my father as a avocation, just as a hobby, was involved with standard breads, trotters and pacers. And we didn't live that far from a racetrack called Roosevelt Raceway because I grew up on Long Island. As an eight-year-old, maybe even younger, maybe as a six-year-old, I would go trotting off, no pun intended, with my father on the weekends to the track. And I can't can't say it was exactly a, um, a good experience because track life is a little scary, especially for a child. But that was my first introduction to horses. Cool. And from there, I guess the the more pertinent link would be the former rider, Olympic rider, Neil Shapiro, took a step back from show jumping, and he was also a jockey, a standard bread jockey. And my father had met him at the track, and one thing led to another. And a little bit later on in my life, in my teens, because I, I wasn't riding, I found myself at the stable door of Neil Shapiro. Um, he was my first instructor. Okay. Wow. Awesome. And how old were you at that point? I was um, probably 16 or 17. Okay. When I actually started and I might've been his first student. So it was a new experience for me and it probably was a new experience for Neil. Yeah. Amazing. So as you were, you know, riding and working with horses, where did that take you as you were starting to, you know, grow up and, and think about your education and schooling? What did you do at that point in time? So being living on Long Island was a great experience for me because it, it allowed me to, to access New York City, which was an important place for me because my passion at the time, and actually still is, was photography, but more in the journalistic type sense. And I really loved sports photography. And so I was able to go into New York and take a lot of pre-college, a lot of classes at the International Center of Photography and with editors at the time and photojournalists and the whole nine yards. So, And then I was able to get an internship with a magazine at the time that's no longer called Sport Magazine. And I would get press passes to go shoot at the sidelines on at football games and, you know, like the Jets and the Giants and whomever and, you know, the big golf tournaments and all sorts of things. So it was a great area for me to be because everything was so 
accessible. And that's pretty much from there. I went to Syracuse University and studied visual communications. So I had stopped writing at that time because it's not like writing was on my mind. I had a great experience with Neil. I certainly learned how to ride with Neil. And from Neil, I went to other stables on Long Island where I had some great experiences. But I left there when I went to college and pursue a career, yeah, which eventually led me to opening up or launching my own publications in New Jersey. Amazing. Tell me a little bit, because I feel like one of the biggest, one of the biggest, I guess, joys in your life is your horse Lafitte. And you got, you got Lafitte in 2018, correct? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how he, how like he came into your life and how that all unraveled and unfolded? Sure. So prior to Lafitte, I had a horse with Amanda, a derby horse. He's a stallion. His name is Loxley. And I came to Amanda with a lo- with Loxley. Okay. And so she was showing him, I don't know, for how many years and was doing pretty well. He, he had a nice um, career and he, unfortunately, physically, he was having issues. And um, we just actually within the last this past year, actually, pre-COVID, we made the determination that we just couldn't be showing him anymore. But prior to that, he was out, he was lame, and we just couldn't be doing anything with him. And he was on the cross ties one day when I walked in and I said to Amanda, so what do you think? And she had said, well, same horse, different day. Mm-hmm. Basically, if I want to continue showing, she just didn't think that Loxley was going to be the horse that was going to do it. Sure. And I really didn't want another horse. I have three that are in different stages of retirement, so to speak, in North Carolina. And then I had Loxley and that's four horses. And I mm-hmm. really didn't about having a fifth horse. But I just knew that I had one more horse in me and I just wasn't ready to leave without giving it another try. And so I pretty much said, well, okay, let's go saddle up and let's see what we can find. And it was just, you know, I just sort of said the stars aligned because Amanda has, um, some great clients. And one of her clients is Lisa Arena Davis, who has had a sh- great show career with her horse, Baloo. And she was looking, or is always looking, I guess, at horses. And she had sent Amanda a video of this horse that she thought was really interesting, which turned out to be Lafitte. And so we watched Lafitte on video over in his showing career in Germany. And she went over there. I was going to go with her, but Amanda's show career is so busy that we just couldn't seem to find the time for me to join her schedule. And so she asked Margot Peroni, who Bastion owns Equijet. So she went over to Germany with Margot and they looked at Lafitte and they looked at another horse, Diodora, who is also showing in the derbies. And so we had two great horses to look at and we went back and forth on which one we thought like Diodora was nine years old and ready to go and Lafitte would take more time. But we guess, you know, Lafitte just had that personality that drew Amanda in. And even though I wasn't there, I felt that Lafitte and agreed with Amanda that he was the one to go with. Amazing. And how did you already have a relationship with Margot and Bastion over at Equijet to bring bring Lafitte over? How was that process for you? No, I I didn't have a relationship with. They're very good friends with Amanda, cool. and you know when the whole thing was decided that we would bring Lafitte over, and obviously Margot was there with Amanda. 
Mm-hmm. It was just a no-brainer that we'd come over with Equijet. And it was great. I mean, it was really seamless. There was, you know, it was all handled, all taken care of. And I'm a bit of a worrywart. So just, you know, transporting a horse over is a little nerve wracking and quarantining is a little nerve wracking. I went through a bad scenario with my stallion. So it all worked out really well with Luffy. Amazing. Tell me a little bit about his personality. Oh, you know, he's just, he's just a curious horse. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever a horse like Lafitte and I've had my nice share of horses. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of horses and, and I, you know, love all of them, but Lafitte just has this curiosity about him. He just, he's very social. He's very interested in everybody, which seems like a strange thing to say, but (laughs) I know Amanda would agree, agree that he just, as I've said before, if, if Lafitte had arms and then he could express himself somehow mm-hmm. or have a conversation with you, yep. he would. He's just, he just has that personality. And he also, he, you can see he genuinely really loves to do his job. And I, and I don't really like to say that. It's almost like a, you know, coined phrase when you say that they like to do their job, but he definitely enjoys getting out there with Amanda and you can see that they're a true team. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I'm not going to say that Loxley and Amanda weren't a true team, but I'm going to say that Lafitte and Amanda are for sure a true team. I couldn't imagine, you know, it being different. Yeah. What are some, I guess, highs that stick out in your mind about Lafitte's career? Wow. Well, he's <laughs> certainly had a lot and, and I know, Amanda, I don't know if Amanda, would pick the same one, but probably would. I don't know. For me, and the most memorable one was when, you know, he was at Capital Challenge the first time. It was getting down to the last group of riders. It was Victoria Colvin and it was Scott Stewart. And I'm drawing a blank. It was two other riders. I can't think at the moment. And Amanda. And it was nail biting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one by one, whatever, you know, Scott Stewart's horse had a an issue or whatever, hit a rail, I don't know. But one by one, it was left with Amanda and another rider. And when it was Amanda that won the class, that class with Lafitte, I think we were just in shock. I know Amanda was in shock. I mean, I could see her at the gate about to do the victory lap. And I could just see even because I wasn't there, I couldn't make it. And I could just, I was watching it online and I could just see her face and I could just see everything. And it was a huge I think that was our breakthrough moment. I really do. Absolutely. Oh, that's so cool. Something that I find really amazing about your ownership of Lafitte and and how you structure things is that a lot of his prize money is donated to the Equus Foundation, correct? Correct. Yeah. Amazing. So Um, how how did that all come to be? It wasn't too soon after I purchased Lafitte and he was brought here and I got to know him a little bit. His, his show career really hadn't started yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just sort of had this epiphany that it would be a lot of fun to donate prize monies that, of Lafitte's to a charity. And I wasn't quite sure if it would be a children's organization or if it would be an equine organization. But the more I thought of it, the more I thought, well, it would be very fitting for a horse to be donating his prize monies to save other horses. And so I did my due diligence and I came across the Equus Foundation and I did my due diligence again to make sure that everything was up and up with the Equus Foundation. And they came through with flying colors. And I spoke with Lynn Copley, who is the founder and president of 
the Equus Foundation, we had a great conversation. She's a lovely person and works like the devil. And I told her what my idea was. And I said, look, uh, this horse is new to me. I have no idea if he's going to win any prize money. <laughs> but I just sort of had this feeling. And if he doesn't make X amount of dollars in the year, I will personally pledge to make up the difference. And so, as I always say to her, it's like, who knew? I mean, I would have never dreamed in a million years that we would have donated the amount of money that we have donated to date to the Equus Foundation. And, you know, the first one, the first big windfall was at Saugerties, Hits on the Hudson at the Big Hunter Prey. And while that was, you know, if you say like, what was like a big moment, I mean, that was a big moment too when he won it, but, and I was in shock then also, but I still go back to Capital Challenge, but that was the big starting of the windfall of his prize monies. And I just have to say that it's incredibly rewarding to know that his prize monies are going to help so many horses through the Equus Foundation, to their charities, to their approved, I guess they call them, I'm trying to think what they call I'm drawing a blank, what they call their approved guardians. I guess that maybe they sure. call them guardians. Yeah. And just to know that I mean, I don't know if you follow the Equus Foundation and you see their Instagram and their Facebook accounts and all the stories. It's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just very rewarding to know that we're helping out. And it's a program that Lynn has been trying to grow to other riders. And I think the rider who owns Happy um, Thoughts, Moran, it's a Carolyn Moran, mm -hmm. and one other rider, a jumper rider now are also doing the same thing that oh, cool. and I are doing. With Lafitte. So this been it's been awesome and I'm so proud to be able to do that. And I know Amanda feels the same way. And I know that's a program that Lynn is trying to grow. Let's take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Equijet. Owned by the husband and wife team of Bastian Schroeder and Margot Peroni, Equijet specializes in the transportation of horses, both domestic and internationally, and takes care of every detail on your behalf. With over two decades of experience in international shipping and an extensive network of transportation partners, Equijet prides itself on making each horse's travel, whether to a local show or across the world, as stress-free and comfortable as possible. With lifetime passions of riding, training, and taking care of horses, Equijet's expertise and knowledge of the nuances of equine travel are unparalleled in the business. Equijet understands that comprehensive and clear solutions to your shipping needs are one of the utmost importance and will ensure that your horses are headed to their final destination with the proper documentation safely and on time. Equijet consists of horse people working for horse people. They are dedicated to the well-being of your horse in transit and to its destination in top condition. Equijet flies your horse safe, reliable, worldwide. To request a quote or for more information, please visit their website at equijet.com. That's E-Q-U-I-J-E-T.com. Thank you so much, Equijet. Let's get back to the episode. In more exciting news, you had a big week this week. You had your book which is Big Wishes for Little Feet, come out. So tell me a little bit about that process and creating your book. Yeah, well, you know, as I said, I, I'm very much a visual person. Photography has always been a huge part of my life and visual communications. And I had, you know, many moons ago, launched uh, two regional magazines in New Jersey. So like yourself, 
You enjoy gathering information, disseminating information, finding interesting things to talk about. And so did I in the print, you know, on the print side. Yeah. And so that, I guess it was just like a natural thing for me, sort of. I've never written a book. So it's completely different than being the publisher of a magazine. Again, you know, sometimes things just sort of come together and I think through Lafitte, Lafitte just inspires one to feel really good and to, he's just like a happy, sparkly fellow. And I think between that and between donating prize monies to the Equus Foundation, you know, and answering other people's questions, I think things just sort of started to ruminate in my head and one thing led to another. And I just started writing this story and I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go and Luckily enough, I happened to know um, an editor in the publishing world, and I brought my idea to her, and I said, what do you think? Do you think you could help me with this? And she's like, hmm, I think I can. (laughs) I think I can help you, you know, bring this book along and guide you. And it's been quite a process. I mean, whether you write a novel or whether you write a children's story or a picture book, it's, it's like anything. Unless you do it, you have no idea what's involved in the process. So I've been actually working on this book for a long time and, well, obviously, you know, a couple of years since I've had the feet. And it finally came to fruition and it launched on Tuesday, which was a lot of fun. And actually, I just, what did they tell me on Amazon? It went to number 11 in their children's European folktale. So no it way. recently became an Amazon bestseller and they're already sell- sending more books to Amazon. So that was just Really unexpected. I just think it all comes from, you know, good karma from Lafitte. I don't know. I don't know what else to attribute it to. Wow, that is so exciting. And the main character of the story, besides Lafitte, is a little girl named Ella. Can you tell me a little bit about that character and, and how she came to life in this book? Yeah, that's you know, that's a really good question. And you know, sometimes when you get into writing writing, you sort of have to get into this headspace like anything. And I've heard other writers talk about it, and I was never really able to, you know, articulate it myself until I've heard other writers say that, you know, you sort of, and it's probably with anything, even with when you're writing, you can be in one mind space, and but then if you really want to dig deeper into your brain, you get somewhere else where maybe all of a sudden you're connecting with your horse in a different way. And so with writing something, whether, you know, whatever it might be, you sort of have to get into that other zone. Mm-hmm. And when you do get into that other zone, all of a sudden your mind just starts to go and you're now, you know, you're putting the story together. And with Lafitte and, you know, constellations and stars and how we look to that and somehow this little girl, I knew he had to have a partner. Mm-hmm. And this little girl's not based on anybody, but I just, I knew, you know, you have to make a connection. And when you're writing a story, there has to be like this, you have your plot, you have your story arc, you have your protagonist, you have your characters, they all have to come together. And so for me, you know, there was Pegasus, the winged horse, and this little girl, Ella, you know, would look to the stars and she was curious about Pegasus. And so it all sort of comes together on her journey and how she becomes lonely and the little horse over in Belgium is lonely and they get together and, you know, it just becomes a very fulfilling, gratifying journey for both of them and how each of them helps them grow. And that, you know, 
that was just one of the messages of the book besides the big message is learning how to overcome obstacles because we all have obstacles in our daily life, especially right now. And so that's part of, you know, that's just part of the storyline that I feel is important for little kids and, you know, just people in general overcoming obstacles. And that's what she did. And certainly that's what Lafitte did when he jumped the big giant wall. Amazing. I love that. Well, the book became available on October 6th. Where can people go take a look and and buy the book? Well, thank you for asking. Certainly on Amazon. It's on Goodreads. It's on, well, I don't think you can order on Goodreads. It's on Barnes and Nobles. And then there's Books a zillion, and there's about five other, you know, platforms or online ordering. And it's also at brick and mortar stores. So a lot of small bookshops are carrying it. But I mean, everyone's going to Amazon, everyone's going to Barnes and Nobles. Those are like the, you know, no brainer places to purchase books. Absolutely. Perfect. And That's so exciting. I'm in the process of having it animated. <laughs> no so- way. Yeah, I know. I just thought that that would be really fun. And a little bit after, you know, the book is out there and whatnot, you know, maybe towards Christmas, it will be on YouTube and other platforms. And I just finished having it. I had the voice done and it's an English voice. It's a British voice and it's really lovely. She did a great job. And now it's with animators actually over in Italy. And that's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Wow. Speaking of that, Tell me how you decided to choose your illustrator. So there's a few ways to answer that. In publishing, there's two ways to go. You can attempt to get an agent, which is extremely difficult, and that's traditional publishing, or independent publishing, or self-publishing. And it's very, very difficult to be a breakout writer, especially in the children's sphere. So... For me to try and go the route of getting an agent, if I was lucky enough to, I would be looking at another couple of years before the book would be released, and I would have no control. Once you get an agent, then they take over, they can change the story, they are the ones that decide what it looks like, they find Mm. the illustrator. So I went through the independent publishing route, and and that's huge actually right now, and I got an independent publishing group to take on the book. But I had already done the research to find the illustrator because I knew what kind of illust- I knew what the illustrations would look like. I knew I wanted additional illustrations and it took me a long time to find him. I knew what platforms to look on having been in the publishing world and knowing how to do all the research, so I had a little bit of a leg up on that. But once I found him, that was a little bit difficult because he's over in Milan. And um, it was a little bit challenging because he didn't want to talk to me on the phone because he didn't feel comfortable with his English. Sure. So the whole thing was done over email, which was frustrating. And the time difference was frustrating. But as I've said before, when I did get the illustrations, his name is Paulo D. Alton. When I did get illustrations from Paulo, it was like opening up your email box. And it was like Christmas every time Uh... you would open up the box. It was just the illustrations are just beautiful. And all the reviews, I would have to say, are... All, all about, a lot about the illustrations and how incredibly lovely they are. Oh, so cool. I know I see little bits on your website and they're just stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. 
So cool. Well, tell me a little bit about an area of the industry because you're, I mean, you're involved in lots of different facets of the equestrian world. What are you particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Well, I'm an owner, not so much a participant anymore. I stopped showing a couple of years ago, unfortunately, due to an accident. But unlike, you know, Amanda or yourself, you're in a different kind of circle, I guess, than I am, sure. the inner circle. But from, I guess, an owner standpoint, and I guess I go back to Equus again, and even pre-Equus, I've just always been an animal welfare advocate. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, in listening to some of your other podcasts, I know some other writer, writers and owners have said the same thing about their horses and when their horses are either retired or mm-hmm. maybe the, the horse just isn't performing to maybe the standards that they want for showing or whatever that might be. I just think it's important for people to really care about what happens to their horse in the next step. Mm-hmm. I, you know, people are always... Trading, they're not trading, they're, they're always selling their horses, they're getting other horses, sure. they're getting baby horses, and maybe that baby horse isn't working out, so then all of a sudden that horse is going somewhere else. It's like, where do you think that horse is going? Right. Um, unfortunately, so many horses, race horses, whatever horses, standard breads, so many of them end up in the wrong hands, and so many of them end up in the unfortunate pipeline of slaughter. And I just don't think people think about that. And so, you know, everyone's in their own zone, and I get it. You know, if you don't know about something, you don't, you're, you're just not educated and you don't know how to react to it. But I don't know. I mean, my horses, I'm, I'm their guardian, I'm their steward and where they go after they stay with me. I don't, I don't let my horses leave. And, and where do the ones that you said you had a few that were retired, where do they live? They're at a wonderful small facility in North Carolina, a stable with a great couple, and they only take like eight horses. And so far, they've got wow. three of mine, and my <laughs> son is about to join them. Okay. So they have four of mine, and I couldn't ask for a nicer place for them to go. And and it's taken me a long time to figure out where my stallion would go because stallions are just a whole other breed onto themselves. Sure, um, but. You just, you know, you just have to feel really good and about where your horses are and who's taking care of them. And I don't know. I mean, I just think that animal welfare, and let's just talk specifically about horses, it's just a huge thing that's going on. And I think people should just really care about it, and, you know, try and participate somehow. And, and I've said, and I don't want to drag on for it to too long, I had said to Lynn of Equus, you know, you should really reach out to a lot of your writers who are on your, you know, associated with Equus, and maybe they can just use their Instagram to repost things that Equus, Mm -hmm. you know, puts out so that maybe you're not giving, you know, in a monetary way, but you're giving just by, you know, awareness and just spreading the good word. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, let's say there is someone within the community who they want to retire their horse. They're, you know, at the point where in their life that it's time, but they don't have the space or don't have the connections or the funds to do that themselves. Is that something that the Equus Foundation can help them with? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. That's never really come up, but being, but being that they have so many connections, both exactly. Valerie and Lynn and all the people that they, their, their network is huge, then I think that that's a really good avenue to start. I mean, hey, you know what? I think everyone has to try everything. Yeah. So you, you try one thing and if one thing doesn't work, you try another or somebody can recommend something. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 
Honestly, it's taken me almost a year to figure out where my horse Loxley could go. And that was right. just from calling one place, visiting one place, talking to people, talking to anyone I can think of. And finally, you know, I did find two really good options and I have a choice. But, you know, it's like anything. You just have to do your research. Mm-hmm. I mean, and research takes time and it's effort. Definitely. And people don't want to put the effort in, but right. they should. Right, right, definitely. And I think uh, like with many things in this community, word of mouth is such a big part and it's, you know, it's such a big aspect to making decisions in lots of different areas. But yeah, I think like what you were saying before, taking the time to really look into places and if that means, you know, going to visit them or, you know, talking to people who have done the same thing with those locations, especially when it comes to retiring horses. I think that's such an important part. Um, of the process and and what I've said, you know, some similar to what I've said to other people who have been on the podcast that have spoken strongly about the importance of properly retiring a horse is that you know it's it's something that you have to think about going into first purchasing a horse. Well, that's a really important um, point that you bring up, and it, you know it's always so easy to buy something. It's never easy to oh my goodness, what happens if. So, you know, we all get excited in the beginning, whether we're getting a new dog or a puppy or, you know, a horse and you're all excited and you have it. And then maybe things change in your life. And then, uh oh, now what? Mm-hmm. Well, some, there's not like a lot of now what options. And mm-hmm. so you really, one really does need to think, but to your point, you know, a lot of people don't and it's, it's really tough. It, it really is. And it would be nice if somebody or people thought about the whole plan. Yes, I now have this animal. What happens if? And that's that's a hard thing to do. And nobody does that. And you know, no one can think that way. But it, it is a really important thing. And it is a huge responsibility. Definitely. Yep, absolutely. Uh, well, Cheryl, thank you so much for taking the time, especially in this busy week. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to read the book. And next time I see Lafitte out showing, I will make sure to give him a pet and think of you. But I wish you all the best. And thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you, Bethany. This was perfect timing and I really enjoyed speaking with you. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.